Hello and welcome to Learning Rewired Flash Insights, a selection of key takeaways from Headspring's Learning Rewired podcast. In the studio with me today, I have Elf Wren, Professor of Innovation Design Management at the University of Southern Denmark, best-selling author, and according to Thinkers50, one of the 50 management thinkers most likely to shape the future. Elf Wren, welcome. It's delightful to be here. Elf, to start, I wonder if I might get your thoughts on some excerpts from a letter I read recently, written to Winston Churchill by his wife Clementine. It was written at a time of tremendous upheaval, the day that Hitler invaded Paris, and Clementine was responding to a private appeal from one of Churchill's colleagues. Apparently, the PM's demeanor had changed, and he had become extremely irascible and closed off in his thinking. In the letter, Clementine says... If an idea is suggested, say at a conference, you are supposed to be so contemptuous that presently no ideas, good or bad, will be forthcoming. And she goes on to say, It is for you to give the orders, and if they are bungled, except for the king, the Archbishop of Canterbury, and the speaker, you can sack anyone and everyone. Therefore, with this terrific power, you must combine urbanity, kindness, and if possible, Olympic calm. That's her advice to him. Mm -hmm. And her third piece of advice was, Besides, you won't get the best results by irascibility and rudeness. They will breed either dislike or a slave mentality. Mm-hmm. So I thought these were quite profound words from, from the wife of the, of the, the uh, former prime minister. And I think there's a lot in there, actually, which I'd love to mm-hmm. kind of uncover and really lead into a conversation today that we, that we were framing around leadership in the 21st century mm-hmm. and how that relates to power power distribution organizations, but mm-hmm. also how power and leadership are related in the 21st mm-hmm. century. So perhaps your first thoughts on, on some of Clementine Churchill's comments. One of the first things I was got interested in as an academic mm. was actually a, the medieval figure of the jester. Yes. Now, the, the jester is a wonderful trickster-like figure mm-hmm. and, and was the only one who could truly speak truly to the king without being without fear for his life mm-hmm. and and there are these both in obviously literature or including shakespeare and and uh, other kind of depictions as well these wonderful tales of the jester who kind of goes and pokes his tongue out at the king and goes you're being an idiot mm-hmm. did you know this mm-hmm. you who um, which one of us is really the fool mm-hmm. i have no power uh, so i can do this yet you with all your power achieve so little and are just kind of caught up in your arrogance Mm-hmm. And I, maybe we've lost our gestures. Mm. We're so po-faced and, and uh, we, we, we are often in our organizations, we are so worried about seeming serious and seeming proper and stiff upper lip and all that, mm-hmm. that we don't bring in these agents of chaos, mm-hmm. be they then the straight shooter, be they the devil's advocate or the jester. And I think this actually diminishes our power rather than increases it. Because only by comments such as that of Fair Clementine or of Jester can we truly reflect on what power is and what it means for us. Elf, you've suggested before that this role of the Jester in modern business is supposed to be played by consultants, even coaches, but that those contributions are often quite safe or diluted. What do leaders gain by being genuinely challenged? Some don't want to play that game. Some some prefer to be told beautiful stories and uh, little ditties about how great they are. But some are open to actually being challenged and being pushed and being asked difficult questions. And, and the fun thing, of course, is they also tend to be the ones who are best at using power. 
because they understand power and they can deploy it in a proper way when it is actually needed. So that's that's a really big question I want to ask you is um, what it means to use power in, in the best way? Well, it's, power is, of course, always a humongously big uh, topic to mm-hmm. discuss. Mm-hmm. And, and I personally subscribe to a relatively what we academics would call Foucauldian view of power, mm-hmm. in which power isn't something that just resides in a person, but it's mm-hmm. a complex network which, where every time we deploy power, we also become the slaves of power. Mm-hmm. Instead, if you want to create the kind of corporate power in which you build an organization that innovates, that wants to follow you, that wants you to be the leader, the first thing you need to do is let go of some of these trappings. You need to start listening. You need to start thinking more about how you give power to others uh, because that starts engendering things such as loyalty, such as trust, uh, such as desire to follow. And these are immensely more powerful in the long run Mm -hmm. than simply the ability to be able to say jump and the other party says how high. Mm -hmm. But this is not easy, right? It is, of course, so that in any kind of hierarchical situation, Uh, be it an organization, be it society at large, we carry with us a fear of losing our place. I think this is much like a relationship, actually. Mm-hmm. I mean, in a relationship, in a real relationship, not a one-night stand or a, or the first uh, kind of tedious te- ten dates, mm-hmm. but a real relationship, you have to give away power. Mm-hmm. Uh, and And in a similar way, I think uh, many bosses... And I won't use the term bosses here uh, specifically. Uh, try to hoard power. Mm. Try to kind of, no, no, I have to make all the decisions, thinking that they are becoming stronger and stronger. When in, in actuality, they're becoming more and more alone. Mm. They are. They are effect- effectively undermining their own leadership. Mm. I mean, that's a radical shift in perspective then, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, I suppose power is often made more synonymous with domination, yeah. actually, whereas it doesn't need to be. Employees have so many kind of ways in which they can diminish the power of the bosses and the foremen and so on. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is what uh, the wife of Churchill is is trying to say here. Is, Is trying to say, if you keep doing this, if you just try to keep being a bully, uh, you will lose power and you will only build the resistance greater. Yes, you can start firing everyone, but in the end you will not have a power base. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to make too much of the gender issue here, but I mean, many of the best utilizers of actual power, true deep power I've seen, have been women Mm -hmm. who understand the kind of complex networks better than at least some of us dote males do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, uh, And what I find tragic often is that you have men who've gotten into positions of great power in the hierarchical sense, uh, then not having that subtlety of how to use that, not understanding that sometimes becoming the servant leader is actually a way to create something far greater for themselves. Mm -hmm. Sometimes listening uh, is the most powerful thing a leader can do. Mm -hmm. Because... Again, we get so locked in this 48 laws of power, how to dominate. We read our Sun Tzu and our uh, so on, our Clausewitz. And and it is the macho myth of power Mm. in which we all kind of want to become alpha males and and kind of beat our chests and dominate our surroundings Mm. without understanding that that is just the merest, marginal, actually weakest form of power there is. 
Lord David Owen wrote a paper on this with Jonathan Davidson about the hubris syndrome. And he said it's a disorder of the position of power, particularly power which has been associated with overwhelming success held for a period of years with minimal constraint on the leader. To begin with, I think it's important to note that it's not just men who get trapped in this course, macho yeah, myth. Yeah. I've, I've met many a female CEO who have acted far more macho than any of, mm-hmm. of the men around them. So, and, so I think it's more of a kind of cultural mythology of power in which you need to be this chest-thumping, uh, people-bullying character in order to be understood as having power. Mm. And I, I, yes, I think that is damaging. I think that's grossly damaging because, just as you say, it creates this who because it can actually the, the scary thing about that bullying and about that blunt force power it can work for a while but that of course builds hubris and that builds the kind of notion that we can just keep doing the same thing we've always done mm. and be it in strategy be it in leadership be it in innovation you kind of you look at your short-term successes and believe that you've found that the kind of uh, uh, the holy grail i know i know how this is done and you just continue and then all of a sudden you realize that your empire has disappeared around you mm-hmm. So, Elf, how do leaders safeguard themselves against fallout from this type of hubris? On one hand, of course, having truth-tellers around you, not hiring only yes-men and so on, is incredibly important. But I think more important is to realize that power is a tool, and a tool that you learn to use in in various ways, or should learn to use in various ways. So when I talk to to leaders and sort of help them with this, I kind of say, no, no, let's go through... Kind of different ways you've used power and, and which have been efficient and, and what did they achieve and which ones had positive outcomes or negative outcomes or both. And when you then start to reflect around how various kind of forms of using power can generate different kinds of effects, leaders often kind of realize, oh, my toolbox of power is actually far wider than I thought it was. Mm-hmm. So one of my favorite kind of examples is I... So I, I used to run a, a research group at a Finnish university, and uh, we were fairly successful, a small, tight-knit group, but uh, there was always the fact in universities, it's the professor's word is often the final word. Mm-hmm. So, But I didn't always want to be in the meetings, and also I didn't want to be the kind who, who it's my way or the highway. So I told my group and said, you, you do realize that what you can do in a meeting if you want to push an agenda is you can just say, I talked to Alf, and Alf's opinion is that we do this. <laughs> the only thing you need to remember is you call me or WhatsApp me afterwards to tell me what my opinion is so I don't kind of counteract this by, by having a different opinion. And some might say I completely kind of lost power there because I gave them the right to tell me what opinion I had. But I did so because I trusted these people. They were smart people. I hired all of them myself. Uh, and I knew that they wouldn't use that in a way that would damage me. Mm. On the contrary, they would only use that to actually create a greater good. So in the long run, I became uh, the, kind of the guy who had the research group who was most focused, best results. Uh, we were very quick in decision making because uh, occasionally I would just get these little WhatsApp messages going, you made this... Uh, you made this decision. If you absolutely want to counteract this decision, let me know. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, the decisions they made were as good or better than the ones I would have made. Mm-hmm. 
So here I am. Am I now powerful or not? Mm-hmm. I would cr- claim I am part of a very powerful group. Yeah, that's a group with strong trust, mm-hmm. uh, with loyalty, uh, where we actually look out for each other. Mm-hmm. Even though I didn't make all the decisions, I ran an organization which made good decisions mm-hmm. and where it looked like I was being really smart. So, Elf, I think you're doing something really key there, which is changing the sense of identification. You're identifying with the collective rather than the individual. And it's a really big word in there, trust. It is actually not about you. Mm. It's not mm. about the leader. Mm. The, if you can be the biggest leader on a deserted island and you will not achieve anything. Mm. Or you can be the person who runs a Fortune 500 company with tremendous, where, where you have given away so much delegation power, you've delegated power, you've delegated uh in various ways opened your heart to people where you know every day that I could be betrayed, Mm. I could be stabbed in the back. Mm. But you know that by doing that, we have created something far greater than any single one of us could have. Of course, there's this almost paradoxical synergy between vulnerability and power and how those two not only coexist, they're almost mutually necessary to obtain optimal value out of any kind of power establishment. It is not until we become kind of aware and reflect on our own vulnerability that we can create something that transcends ourselves. Mm. So we have learned so much in our private lives about trust, about power, about vulnerability, about letting go, and so on. Uh, And now it is up to us not to believe that our human organizations are something completely different. Mm -hmm. We know we may not love our colleagues the way we would love a partner or our children, uh, but we still need to have kindness and trust towards Mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. And leaders who embody this, who who understand that uh, they are still the same person who is a loving husband, and a kind father and trusting father needs to bring that to the boardroom as well. Mm. Not uh, in an idiotic sense that you would trust everyone blindly, Mm. but so that you bring your heart, your soul, and the power of those two to the office. That's an amazing vision, but for many people quite scary, I think, to go to that place, especially if it's not somewhere that they've practiced going professionally before. What do you say to leaders who are willing to look at themselves and recognize there might be some need for that kind of development, that kind of growth? Where do they start? Start small. Mm. We don't need to start. I mean, often when you kind of talk about stuff like vulnerability or trust or power, you kind of, I think there's something in us humans that we want to do it all at once. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we want to kind of capture all of power in a in a kind of single phrase or, or uh, just be totally 100% naked and vulnerable in front of others and say, no, that's not how it works. But start by giving one person in your team some more kind of a surprising amount of power and see what happens. Mm. See how you like it. See what you think about it. Reflect about what happens when you allow your secretary to actually make decisions rather than triple checking everything with you. Mm. Did that hurt? Did you feel vulnerable? Uh, Did you feel scared? Uh, It's okay if you did, uh, and we can talk about that. But you can do actually these things one step at a time. I think that courage is a good term, but how do you build courage? 
You don't build courage by doing the most scary thing in the world. You build courage by taking things a little further. But we need to find in all what we do, be it sharing with a loved one, be it delegating power in our organization, or be it just trying out new things. We can do so much if we just learn to do it a tiny step at a time, reflecting during every step what we achieved and, and seeing that just how much trusting others, giving power to others and being a little more vulnerable can actually be. Elfrin, thank you so much. Thank Genuine you. Genuine pleasure to have you in and thank you for that. Always fun. You have been listening to Flash Insights a collection of key takeaways from guests on Headspring's Learning Rewired podcast. For full episodes from Learning Rewired, as well as access to other episodes of Flash Insights, please subscribe to the Learning Rewired podcast. 